Let me take you to a St. Louis, Missouri success story. Build a Bear Workshop. Maxine Clark opened the first Build a Bear Workshop in 1997. That first Build a Bear Workshop is in the Galleria Shopping Center, just about 10 minutes west of Concordia Seminary, St. Louis, Missouri. Now there are over 400 Build-A-Bear workshops worldwide. If you've never been to a Build-A-Bear workshop with five screaming seven-year-old girls who are all on a sugar high from birthday cake and code red Mountain Dew, let me tell you how it works. How do I know how it works? I've been there, done that, and bought the bears. <laughs> you walk into the store, and there are over 30 bears to choose from. You choose one of the 30, and you put that bear down on a workstation, and you dress it, you accessorize it, you stitch it, you sew it, and then you name it. It's your very own bear. Ta-da! Your own creation. An employee even gives you a custom-made birth certificate. Then they hand you a bill. Each bear, $89.99. Multiply that by five. I did one day. $449.99, not including tax. <laughs> so is my experience at a Build-A-Bear workshop. Jeremiah is our prophet of the summer. He's helping us survive disasters. We all know that life is just kind of trying to manage one disaster after another. A couple of weeks ago, Jeremiah, we looked at chapter 1, 1 to 5, and he helped us survive disasters through God's Word. Last weekend, we looked at chapter 7 of Jeremiah, surviving disasters through worship. And this weekend, surviving disasters through renouncing idolatry. That's it. That's Jeremiah chapter 10, 1 through 16. Surviving life's disasters through renouncing idolatry. When I say idolatry, maybe this image comes to mind. Aaron, Moses' older brother, making a golden calf. It's easy to make idols especially when you're going through a disaster. See, when you're going through a disaster, your heart is crushed, everything is upside down, nothing makes sense, you're walking around in a fog, and you're longing for what? Longing for love. We're always longing for love, but you know and I know, when we're in a disaster, that longing for love, that is cranked up on high. Now, there's nothing wrong longing for love, nothing wrong at all. 
But as sinful people, we have a propensity to long for love as all the wrong places. <laughs> when we do that, we're not building bears, we're building gods. How does idolatry begin when we sit down to our workstation in our Build a God workshop? It begins with four words, always. Just count on Four words. That's how idolatry begins in your heart and mind. If I just had. If I just had a better social life, then I'd feel love. If I just had a better family life, then I'd feel love. If I just had a lover, then I'd feel love. There's nothing wrong with wanting a good social life and a good family and someone to love. But idolatry takes these good gifts and says and declares these are the best gifts. Idolatry takes what is penultimate, everything up there, penultimate, nothing wrong with any of that stuff up there, penultimate, but idolatry declares them to be ultimate. Idolatry takes what is valuable. This stuff is valuable, right? Family, money, power, valuable stuff. Nothing wrong with it. But idolatry takes what is valuable and declares it to be invaluable. If I just had. (laughs) How do I know I've been doing business in a Build a God workshop? Pretty simple. When I lose approval or fame or pleasure or career, you name it, when I lose something or someone in my life, idolatry doesn't say this is bad and this is terrible. It's not what idolatry says. No, when I lose someone or something of value, idolatry says this is the end of the world. Life has no more meaning. We panic. We might yell, scream, throw things. Then we know we've been doing business in a build a God workshop. If that's you, welcome to the human race. Jeremiah says, you're not going to survive a disaster in your life if you're worshiping the wrong God, if you are worshiping anything other than the one true living and eternal God. So that's why Jeremiah takes us to an ancient build a God workshop. That's chapter 10, 1 through 16. Here's a summary. Idols can't speak. They have to be carried for they can't walk. They can't do evil, neither is it in them to do good. Looking for ultimate love is looking for ultimate love in something or someone who can't deliver it. (laughs) Jeremiah says, if you trust in these idols, you're stupid and foolish. You're getting set up. You're getting played. Jeremiah says... Their images are false. There's no breath in them. They're worthless, a work of delusion. Idols are a vapor amidst a nothing. 
idols are so attractive, aren't they? They're so beautiful. They look like the solution to all our problems. But idols can't give us ultimate love. Idols can't love us unconditionally. I've been riding bikes for a long time. One of my favorite songs is from Steppenwolf, right? Get your motor running, heading on a highway, looking for adventure. I was born to be wild. Well, even when I was eight years old, I was born to be wild. (laughs) I was out on my bike. As best as I can recall this incident, a little red-headed boy in a red pickup truck with a lot of other kids in the back of the pickup truck. You don't see that so much these days. But back in the day, you know, in summer, everyone's in the back of a pickup truck. Well, this little red-headed boy in the back of this red pickup truck threw a rock at me. And he must have ended up in the major leagues. Because <laughs> Bingo, jackpot, that rock hit me right in the head. And I fell off my bike. I started screaming, my bike, my bike is ruined. I went to the closest house I could find. I knocked on the door. The woman opened the door and she started screaming. And I was screaming. I said, my bike, my bike. The woman didn't say anything. She was pointing at my red t-shirt. My red t-shirt that used to be white's. I had a much bigger problem than a bent, busted, and broken bike. I had a hole in my head. Some of you are saying right now, that explains everything. (laughs) Lessing's got a hole in his head. I've got the scar right here above my left eye to prove it. (laughs) I had a much greater problem than just a busted bike. I had a hole in my head. I was bleeding. I, they took me to ER. I almost died. This is my only story in life. We have a much greater problem than just a hole in our head or a busted bike or a bad marriage or not enough money or a ho-hum job. No, our greatest disaster in life is looking for love in all the wrong places. Our greatest disaster is idolatry. And this is how idolatry works, how it works in my life, probably yours too. It's a whole boiling frog syndrome, right? You know this. Throw a frog in hot water, the frog will jump out. Throw the frog in lukewarm water, slowly turn up the heat, and that frog won't know what hit him. (laughs) That frog, he's having the time of his life. He's like in a sauna, right? Life is good. Got all the flies I need. (laughs) But that frog, sooner or later, is going to be a cooked frog. In hot water, he doesn't know it. That's how idolatry works, at least in my life. It's pretty subtle, right? You're going through a disaster, a tough time, and you start looking for love in all the wrong places, people's approval, right? 
sex, money, power. And before we know it, we are in hot water. What's your hot water? Again, there's nothing wrong with any of these gifts. Glamour, sports, money, microphone means you got influence and power. Nothing wrong at all with these. But idolatry gets obsessed with these things. Idolatry gets possessed by these things. Idolatry insists that these give us ultimate love, ultimate satisfaction. And then what? We break God's commandments just to get what we want from these idols. We destroy relationships. We hurt ourselves and other people. Idolatry, if left unchecked, will harm us. Idolatry, if left unchecked, someday will destroy us. That's why Jeremiah, did you pick this up in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 5? He calls idols scarecrows. Scarecrows. Well, I don't know about you, but I only know one scarecrow. <laughs> From the Wizard of Oz. He was a few bales short of a full harvest, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Remember a song to Dorothy? I do. I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain, and my head I'd be scratching while my thoughts I'd be hatching if I only had a brain. Idols are brainless, powerless, graceless, loveless. Why would I look for ultimate love and ultimate meaning in my life from a scarecrow? <laughs> Is there a better option? Within Jeremiah's Build-A-God workshop in chapter 10, 1 through 16, he also includes statements about the real God. Here they are. The Lord, Yahweh, right? He's the true God. See, these idols, he calls them dead. They have no breath in them. But this God is the living God and the everlasting King. How do we know this? This is the God who made everything, right? He made the earth by his power, established the world by his wisdom, by his understanding, stretched out the heavens. Look at those attributes of God. He's all powerful. He's all wise. He's all understanding. When he utters his voice, there's a tumult of waters, Jeremiah says, in the heavens. And he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. And he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He is the one. This is how Jeremiah ends this section. He, that is the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the one who formed all things. That's no scarecrow. This is the real deal. 
This is the God who can marshal all power, all wisdom, all understanding to come and love us without limits, without conditions. And this is the God we meet in Jesus. That's the claim of the New Testament, isn't it? It's a startling claim that this God, Jeremiah, talks about the king, the living God, the one who made all things, formed all reality, that this God meets us in Jesus. This is the consistent message of the New Testament. Thomas puts it this way in John chapter 20, verse 28. When he sees the living Christ, he says, my Lord and, you know the rest, my God. The Hebrew writer says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. The Nicene Creed says of Jesus that he's very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. You want to see the face of God? It's in the face of Jesus. Jesus is God. Stunning. That this itinerant Nazarene, is God Almighty. It's very important that Jesus is God. It's also very important that Jesus is a person. Jesus is a real human being. Oh, he's true God. He's also true man. And as a man, as a human being, Jesus has feelings. Jesus knows what it's like to have your heart crushed and your world end. As a human being, Jesus has emotions. He knows what it's like to be rejected and sad and lonely. As a human being, Jesus has a body that bleeds, suffers, and dies. (laughs) There is no God like Jesus. From the cross... Jesus delivers what only he can deliver. Hope for broken hearts. Healing for broken bodies. And Jesus pours out unlimited, unconditional love into our empty, aching hearts. And get this. Remember Jeremiah said, he's a living God. Well, death has no dominion over Jesus. Who alone lives to forgive us and take away the painful past? Jesus. Who alone has conquered the grave? Jesus. Who alone loves us, is Jeremiah 31, verse 3. Who alone loves us with an everlasting love? Jesus. Jeremiah says, in the end, no one and nothing loves you like this God. Jeremiah also says... (laughs) That build-a-God workshop you got in your basement or backyard? That build-a-God workshop that you got in your heart? Time to turn in your tools. Throw away your idols. Stop building substitutes. And never again do business at a -a build-a-God workshop. It's a dead end. 
bottomless pit. It's a hopeless life. Instead, though, Jeremiah says, especially when you're going through a disaster in life, look to the true God, the real God, the living God. And we know that God. And we follow hard after that God. And we sing to this God. And we trust this God. And this God has a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus. 